You may open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Can't wait to get into this tonight, loved ones. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. And as you're turning there, uh, just want to say it again. JD said it off the top. I'll just say it again. A happy Father's Day to all of the men in this church. We love you so much and we are praying for you. Praying for you daily in the entrustment that the Lord has given you. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word, make sure you put your hand up and we want our ushers are coming forward. We want to place a copy of God's Word in your lap. So ushers, come on up right up to the front and then as hands go up, put them in. There you go. All right, Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 to 13. Well, today uh, marks the final message in our mini-series that we've been unpacking over the last three weeks um, called Seek First the Kingdom. Seek first the kingdom, gospel foundations for financial freedom. Now, it's important that we emphasize this fact again of what we're talking about, what God is speaking of when we speak of financial freedom. It is not what this world says. Freedom 55, being able to do your, have enough money to do your desires and your plans and your way and your time. That has nothing to do with financial freedom. Can we agree on that already? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Here's what the Bible says true financial freedom is. Write this down one more time. Stewarding God's wealth God's way. There it is. True financial freedom means we steward God's wealth in God's way. Now let's give a quick message recap here, a series recap. Message one, we saw that it all starts by doing this from Matthew 6, 19 to 24. We need to choose the right master. We must choose your master. We we cannot serve, Jesus says, you can't serve wealth. You can't serve Jesus at the same time. You need to choose a master. Right? You cannot serve both. And if we are to live in true financial freedom, Jesus must be our only master. Amen? Jesus must be our only master. And then from the overflow of that, in message 2 from Matthew 6, starting in verses 25, going to verse 34, we saw that if we choose Jesus as our master, okay, so my, the whole goal of my life is not to amass earthly treasure and lay up treasures on earth, but treasure in heaven. Well, that means we're going to need to trust God's provision of what he gives. Amen? We need to trust God's provision. And we saw so clearly last week, where Jesus commands us, do not be anxious about your life. Is that freeing for anyone else? Maybe just me. He's like, do not be anxious about your life. He says, believe him that he will provide. Seek his kingdom first and rest in him. Anyone loving the rest of God these days? Oh, help us, Lord. Amen. Yearning for that. And then it all leads to this. Here we go. Choose your master. Trust his provision. And then here it is. Live with contentment. If we are to live in true financial freedom, we must live with contentment. Okay, but that bursts the question. You hear a lot of that today. Contentment, contentment. You ever stop to think, what is true contentment? 
If someone were to come up with you, oh, see, there you go. My thunder's spoiled. The screen's already up. But here's the thing. What is true contentment? Love you, team. Love you. But here's the thing. If someone were to come up on the street and say, what is contentment to you? What would you say? Okay, close your eyes for a second. What would you say? All right? All right? What would you tell them? See, and you say, well, why does that even matter? Because it is a crucial question for this reason because there is a deception at work that you and I face every day there is a deception at work there is an illusion at work that you and I face every day and often will take the bait on and it is this culture's view of contentment that says ready the more we have of earthly treasure the more content we will be I'll say it again. The deception of this culture, when you go to bed tonight, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you will face it. The onslaught is there on your social media, on your TV screen, and when you watch movies, when you listen to the radio, it's always there. Get, get. Why do you think advertisers just make so much money? It's just all over the place. And it's all buying into this lie, this deception. The more earthly treasure you have, the more content you will be. Is it true? Because people pay millions. I was thinking about the latest Super Bowl commercials for this. To get a commercial on the Super Bowl back in February, I think it was like a million and a half dollars for 30 seconds. Why would they pay so much? Because this is the view of the world. The more you have, the more content you will be. And we buy into it every day. Let's just be honest. It's church. Come on, we can't lie. We buy into it every day. And so guess what that means? Get, let's follow the logic. Test the messages, loved ones. Follow the logic to its end point. If we're really believing that, that, that true contentment is that the more we have of earthly treasure, the more content we'll be, here's what we're saying. Therefore, our contentment is based on our external circumstances. That's what we're saying. If it's all about what we can amass from out here and get from out here, we're saying Our true contentment is only based on external circumstances. And as long as, and here's the deception, and COVID-19, over the last three years, the Lord has used COVID-19 to expose how much we buy into this deception. Because here's the reality. If we're basing our contentment on that, That only lasts as long as everything lines up for us. As long as we know where the money's coming from, as long as we've got the job, as long as nothing goes wrong with our house, or we have to foreclose, or just as long as everything lines up externally, we're like balancing all these plates. The moment the Lord in his kindness allows one to be removed, it's like... As long as we're allowed to stay in our comfort zone, we'll be content. Is that true contentment? Is it? That's a deception. That is an illusion. How's the last few years gone for you? It's been hard for me at times. So let's get God's view, God's truth of what contentment is right from our text today. 
When he talks, when Paul says, I've learned whatever the situation I am to be content, verse 11, here's what he's talking about. Here's what that word means right here, contentment. Inward satisfaction and sufficiency that come from the indwelling power of Jesus. Where's the external stuff that you need to have for that? Anywhere? It's not there. Everyone say, it's not there. I say, I won't find it there. True contentment is not based on your external circumstances. True contentment, God's view of contentment, which is the truth and the right view, is inward satisfaction and sufficiency that come from the indwelling power of Jesus. And I love this. What what a God. What a God that we would find this in him. This is true no matter what's happening around us. No matter if there's a pandemic or if everybody's healthy. No matter if you've got the house or no matter if you don't. No matter if you have a spouse or no matter if you don't. No matter whether you get the grades or no matter if you don't. No matter if you have the bank account with the amount that you want in it or you don't. True contentment is based on none of it. None of it. It, is, it actually means, this term contentment in the Greek actually means a detachment. I love this. A detachment from the anxious concerns from external circumstances of one's life. It's not denying that they're, they're there, but it's a detachment from becoming anxious about them. That's why he said, don't be anxious. Hello, are we seeing how all of it fits together, loved ones? It is a detachment from anxious concerns to external circumstances of one's life. See here, let's break this down. I want this to be super helpful. A life of contentment declares this, ready? At all times, in all things, I have all I need through Christ in me. I'm gonna say it again. This is the, write this down, loved ones, and post it on your fridge, put it on your phone, do whatever it is that you're gonna see it every day. That all I have at all times and in all things, I have all I need through Christ in me. There's the life of contentment. At all times, in all things, I have all I need through Christ in me. Here's, let me even sum it up more. Say it in a sentence. I love doing this. Ready? Three words of the life of true contentment. Jesus is enough. Let's say it together. Ready? Go. Jesus is enough. That is the day by day, moment by moment, declaration of the life that lives in the true contentment of the gospel. Jesus is enough enough. Is he enough for you? Whether the pandemic comes or it doesn't come, whether I get the raise or I don't, whether I have my health or I don't, whether someone cuts me off in traffic or I don't, it's just, Jesus is enough. It's saying this, life of contentment says, I do not need more earthly treasure, earthly status to be satisfied. It's saying, I don't need more earthly treasure or status to pursue what this world says is successful. Value, peace, joy. That doesn't come from external stuff. 
A life of contentment says, I will not find satisfaction and fulfillment in anything the world offers, ultimately. None. That's what a life of contentment declares. Are we living like this? There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but there needs to be evaluation. How is it for us? That welcome, welcome. The life of true contentment, welcome to freedom. Welcome to gospel freedom as God intends. In every part of your life. Why? Because Jesus is enough. And in him I have all I need. I can do all things he calls me to through him. Welcome to the free life. So question, just hearing that, let's do an honest evaluation. Are you living with true contentment? Your words that you speak, the anxiety in your heart, does it, does it reflect this? Let's just, let's just use word of God as a mirror into our souls. It's so good. It's so freeing. Humble ourselves right now. Because here, herein lies the problem that we see. Probably you've recognized it by this time. It's this. We rarely live in true contentment, don't we? We base our contentment on external factors. Earthly treasure, earthly status, all the time. Where's the freedom in that? There isn't any. And why do we do this? We're so prone to this. You are, I am, because of our unbelief. Unbelief. We do not believe that Jesus is truly enough for us all the time and in all things. And what's the result of it? You see it in your life. I see it in mine at times. We see it in the culture. Look at this. The result of our unbelief leads to this. A focus on and wearing, wearing ourselves out pursuing and trying to accumulate earthly treasure and success. We wear ourselves out. And as a result, we live lives of selfishness, not increasing generosity. We live lives of greed and not increasing satisfaction in Christ. We live lives of anxiety because we're so accumulating all this stuff, then you got to look after all this stuff. And then we're so anxious about losing the stuff because we're basing our contentment and satisfaction and value on that stuff. It, welcome to the rat race. Anxiety, not gospel peace. And then when we don't get that stuff, what's it? A life characterized by grumbling instead of gratitude. Here's another one. A life characterized by fear instead of faith. Of compromise in our faith instead of steadfastness in our walk with the Lord. Why? Because we're going back to serving the master of wealth over the master of Jesus. And you see it all the time. So question, can I ask you a question? We have to answer this question because it impacts how you respond to the rest of the message. Um, are you tired of living this way? Maybe just me? Is anyone else in this room tired of living this way? Yeah. Here's the big idea for our text today. It's going to unpack 
Write this down. To live in true financial freedom, you must live with contentment in Jesus alone. There it is. Sums up the whole series. To live in true financial freedom, you must live with contentment in Jesus alone. And here in our text today, we're going to see two truths that we must increasingly live by in Christ's power if we are to live a life of increasing contentment in Jesus that displays his glory through his power, his joy, his peace, his generosity, his hope, and ultimately his freedom. You ready to go? Anyone ready for a dose of God's word right now? Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. We read this together, nice and loud. Lord, implant this in our hearts. Let's go. If I rejoiced in the Lord, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Hear the word of the Lord, all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. All right, let's get into it. The life that is content in Jesus, first thing we see here from verse 10 is this. The life content in Jesus rejoices in his provision with gratitude. Say it again. The life content in Jesus is marked, is marked by the rejoicing in God's provision with gratitude. Contentment rejoices in God's provision. Question, is gratitude your attitude? The life of contentment is the life of gratitude. Is gratitude your attitude? Let's get our context. Context is key. Here we are, first century, 60 to 62 AD. Paul is in a Roman prison writing this. Talk about a great place to be writing about gratitude from, huh? And contentment from a prison. So here's Paul in prison for preaching the gospel, and he's writing to the church in Philippi. You'll see a picture there. There's Philippi. Now, He had planted this church 10 years earlier on his second missionary journey, and Philippi had a special place in Paul's heart because it was the first church plant in Europe. Okay, First church he planted in Europe. And so Paul writes this letter for a number of reasons, but one of the main ones was to express his thanks for the generous gift of financial support that the church in Philippi had sent him to support him in ministry. He's thanking them for their partnership in the gospel. So in many ways, the book of Philippians is like a missionary letter. Hey, if you're ever going into the mission field, use the book of Philippians as your template of how to write to your supporters because it's giving them an update on the ministry, but he's also expressing gratitude and thanksgiving for their support of him. See, upon hearing of Paul's imprisonment, The church in Philippi sent a financial gift to Paul to help meet his needs. Okay, they hear he's in prison. Oh, we got to get stuff over there. And notice this in verse 10. He writes this. Here's his response. Go to the text. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity See, Paul tells them that upon receiving their gift, imagine that, a little delivery, knock at the door, 
in telecom. Here we go. Bam! Financial gift, huh? So here's Paul. He receives the gift. Notice what he did there. It says he rejoiced. Circle the word rejoice there of what true gratitude looks like in contentment. Rejoice means this. It means he delighted in, he praised the Lord for it. Whatever it was. He praised the Lord greatly that the church, he says there, after a great length of time, they hadn't supported him for 10 years. He says, after this time, you've revived or renewed your caring concern for him in the ministry. Now, we want to make something clear, and Paul goes to great lengths in this letter to make this clear. Paul's not rebuking them. He's not saying, yeah, after 10 years, it's about time. Come on, church. He's not saying that. He's going to great lengths. Paul is quick to mention that all along, he knew the church was concerned about him. Just look at the text. All along, I knew you were desiring to help me, but up until this point, they hadn't had the opportunity to financially support him, and we don't know why. We don't know why. Church history doesn't tell us, all right? But we do know this, that upon receiving God's provision for him, look at, look at Paul's response. Paul rejoices greatly in, for two reasons. Number one, not only for the provision itself. Wow, the Lord provided for my needs through my fellow brothers and sisters. That's one reason he's saying the Lord. But as he goes on to say in verse 17, as you see right there, he goes, this means more blessings for them because they're laying up treasure in heaven. See how it's all connected? So Paul, look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He goes, you guys are storing up treasure in heaven. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. He's rejoicing. Look at Lord. Here they are. Now, I want you to live in the text for a moment. Live in the text before you skip over that response. Remember, Paul's in prison. Context is key when we interpret scripture, right? Remember this. He's in prison right now. Um. <clears throat> He's been stripped of many of the freedoms that he's had. He's actually under house arrest. Can anyone relate to being confined in your house for a while? Just saying, saying, anyone? Yeah, he's under house arrest here. Okay? And almost everything that this world says you need to have to be content was taken from him. It's good to read scripture in context, isn't it? And yet Paul's response to God's provision for him through the Philippian church is gratitude, not grumbling. Everyone say that with me. Gratitude, not grumbling. He says this. He says, thank you, Lord, for knowing my needs and providing this. And for the benefit that it will be for the treasure in heaven for those who sacrificially gave it. Notice his response is twofold. Paul's focus, is it on himself here? It's not even close. His eyes aren't on, oh yeah, this is going to really benefit me. He's like, it's going to benefit you. You're storing up treasure in heaven. And notice it says rejoice in the Lord. Where's he looking? Up. His focus is vertical. His eyes, his focus is completely off himself and it's on the Lord. And those who support him. See, here's the key. Here's the key. What we got to get from verse 10. Don't skip past it. Paul knows that he didn't deserve anything. Oh, I'm going to say it again. Our souls need to hear that. 
Paul knows, even though he's in prison, under house arrest, stripped of all these needs, he knows very clearly he didn't deserve anything from the Lord except death and hell. Do you remember that? That that's what you deserve and me? Are we remembering that? How could we ever grumble about anything God provides for us if we remember that? He knows he didn't deserve anything that God entrusted to him. It's not Paul's. He didn't own it. Remember from message one? God owns it all. We are money managers. We are faithful stewards, Lord willing, of what he's entrusted to us, but it's not ours. And it's only by the grace and mercy of God that he was given it, that you and I are given anything. And so he was grateful for anything and everything that God chose to give him. Notice the text from verse 10. Notice what Paul didn't say. This will help drive it home. He didn't say this. Lord, knock on the door, gets the provision. He's not like, Lord, you gave me this, but um, don't you know I'm in prison? I wanted to have that. I think I need that to be satisfied. You gave me this, but I I want that. Is that anywhere in the text? Paul's in prison. Do you think he was tempted in his flesh for some of that? Yeah, you gave me this money, but how about my freedom? How about a little bit more so I should actually pay off this Roman guard? Why just this much? He didn't say, Lord, I'm in prison having a hard time. I'm going to trial. I mean, couldn't you give me something else? Like maybe, couldn't you give me my own house? Like I got a guard sitting next to me in this one. Can you give me another house? Couldn't you give me my freedom? Give me my rights back? Couldn't you give me a community of people around me? Couldn't you do something else to comfort me? Couldn't you give me more support? Like couldn't the Philippians ante up a little bit more? that would bring more satisfaction, that would better meet the needs I think I have and meets my expectations? Couldn't you do that, Lord? Of what I think I need and want? I wanted what that person has, that missionary. Look at Apollos. He's doing his thing over there. He's not under house arrest. Look at that. They've got the status. What's up with the apostles over in Israel? They seem to be having a good time. I'm in prison. And Yeah, God, you provide, let's take it home. Let's take it to today. Yeah, God, you provided me with this job. But I wanted that one. I want a better one. Yeah, you provided me with this timing for how you worked, but I wanted my timing. It could have been a lot better if you had just gone on my timing. Yeah, God, you provided me with this school but I wanted to get into the other one. Yeah, God, you provided me with this house, but that person's house is so much nicer. I want what they have. Everyone feeling it a little bit? I'm feeling it. Yeah, God, you you provided me with this paycheck, so I'm making this money, but um, I want what they're making. I should be making more. Don't you see what I'm doing here? You provided me that. I want that. 
Here, let's keep going. You provided me with this church, but I want that one that's going to meet my needs and it's going to do things the way I want them to be done. You provided me with this method of transportation, but it's rusting out. I want the Tesla. I don't even know if I'm going to make it to the 7-Eleven. Welcome to the Kaprowski van. <laughs> go, go, Lord. Here's the thing. You, you gave me these clothes, but I want those ones. Those make me look better. You gave me this opportunity to serve you, but I want that one. You gave me this relational status as being single or being married but not having a kid. You gave me this position in life, but I want that. You gave me this health condition, but I want the health they have because it seems so much better. We do it all the time. Because I want that thing. I think I need that, and I'll only rejoice greatly when I have it because I need more than what you've given me. And I don't trust you in what you've given me that it's out of your love for me and goodness towards me. I don't trust you, God. Let's just let that hang there for a moment. What's that for you? Eyes off the Lord, eyes on yourself. You'll see it on the screen here. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude of your contentment. I'll say it again. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for your contentment. What does that mean? Here's what it means. The greater the gratitude you have for what God's provided for you, whether it matches up with what you think you want or not, the greater the gratitude that you have, the greater contentment you have. And it's a cycle, because the greater contentment, the greater the gratitude. And the greater the gratitude, the greater the contentment. And you, remember this, you and I would want what God wants for us if we knew what he knows about us. Think about it. See, the contented life rejoices in God's provision. So let's just ask ourselves honestly. Receive the implanted word right now in meekness. Um, is gratitude your attitude? Is it? Just get before the Lord right now. He knows. We're not faking anybody out. Where do you need to repent? Of your pride of entitlement, greed, and selfishness of your need to amass earthly treasure, all that is rooted in the unbelief in who God is and his provisions that he's entrusted to you. The status, the wealth, where do we need to repent of our pride saying, I need more, I want that. Our grumbling, our complaining. You say, <clears throat> Well, this seems like a vicious cycle, and it is. 
Grumbling and complaining, a lack of gratitude, lack of... How do we get out of this? How does the gospel empower us? I want this to be so helpful. Please take out your pens and write this down. How do we grow in gratitude? The gospel tells us so clearly. Let's tune in. How do we grow in gratitude? Number one, repent of your grumbling quickly. Repent quickly of your complaining and your grumbling. Don't let it sit there and harden your heart and let your love for Christ grow cold. Repent quickly of your grumbling. We're not just talking about, yeah, God, I did it. Okay, fine. And then go on, do your thing. Uh Uh-uh. If you've been complaining and grumbling about God's provision, he's calling you to repent. You don't need to pray about that. It's so clear in God's word. You say, how? Psalm 51. He said, David says, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Sin always leaves us with an unright spirit before the Lord. It's a hindrance in our walk with him. Renew, create in me a clean heart. And and did you notice when you hang on to grumbling and complaining, that corrupt speech, it's like poison to your soul. It strips you of your joy. In fact, in fact, Proverbs says envy and greed make the bones rot. That's why David goes on to say in Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You don't have to restore something unless it's lost. He says, restore unto me the joy, the gratitude of my salvation. All right, so here it is, repent. Next one, request. How do we grow in gratitude? Request. This is ask God for a grateful heart. Ask God for a grateful heart. This is so clear. John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. There is no true contentment apart from me. Apart from me, you can do no spiritual good. There is no true gratitude apart from my power at work in you. You need to ask him, I need to ask him daily for a grateful heart. And then what does this look like practically? Go to the third one. Request. So we've got repent, request, and now this, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, just like what Paul's doing in verse 10 here. Rejoice in the Lord. You say, how do we do that? Here it is. We thank God for who he is. If we're going to rejoice in the Lord, it has to start vertical. Let's look at what Paul's doing here. We thank the Lord for who he is. Just, and I've been praying for you, loved ones, as I've been praying for my family and myself, just for some sweet times of adoration before the Lord this week. We get low before the Lord, and we thank God for who he is. You say, who's God? Here's some characteristics. We sang a whole bunch. But it's like, thank you, God, that you will only work out of your love for me. You are a loving Heavenly Father. Thank you, God, that you are so good to me. Goodness of God. You've been faithful my whole life to me. Thank you that you are near. Thank you that I'm not alone. Thank you, God, that you are my protector. Thank you that you are holy. Thank you that you are righteous and you are right in all your ways in what you choose to provide and what you don't. Thank you, God, that you are my provider. Thank you, God, that you are my helper. Thank you, God, that you are my comforter. Thank you, God, that you are wise and I am not. Thank you, God, that you are trustworthy all the time and 10,000 more reasons. How's your 10,000 reasons going of rejoicing in the Lord? You know what the first thing to go is when envy starts to take over and discontentment? Gratitude. For what God has entrusted to you. So we rejoice in the Lord vertically, thanking God for you, but we're not done yet. 
Rejoicing in the Lord. Just what Paul's doing here, rejoicing in the Lord then means thank God for his provision. So you thank him for who he is, and then you thank him for what he has done and given. And here's what I'm going to say. It's one thing to say, yeah, thanks God for everything. Okay, okay, great. That's maybe a good start. Let's get specific. You don't get much oil unless you drill, right? It's time to drill into gratitude. Let's get specific. Thank you, God, for saving me when I was your enemy. Thank you for sending your son Jesus for me. You knew all about my greed. You knew all about my propensity to selfishness. You knew all about the envy and bitterness and comparison trap, and yet you came for me. Thank you for the gospel. Your love for me. Here it is. Now get, really, get, get even more specific. Thank you for the relationships I have in my life that are a gift from you. Thank you for my coworkers, even the ones that are hard to love. Thank you for my church family. Thank you for my extended family. Even if you have family issues, and I, I don't know if anyone in this room doesn't have biological family issues. But thank you for my family that you gave. It doesn't mean that everything that happened was good, but thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you for the possessions you've given, that you're meeting my daily needs. Thank you for the opportunities that you've given me to serve you wherever that is, even if it's not like, well, I have to have that one because I want to be the leader. Thank you for the opportunity I have to run the sign out into the parking lot, to to hug a baby in a nursery, to, to homeschool my children, whatever it is. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the health and strength you've given me. Even though it's not, I'm not in perfect health, but thank you that you gave me breath to breathe. You've given me the ability to work. You've given me the ability to pray. You give me the ability to read the word. You give me the ability to sing. Get get specific. Thank you for my job. Anyone complain about their job this week? Thank you for my job that you have provided for me in your wisdom. Try that. Thank you um, for the home that you've given me. Whether it's a single room apartment Two-story, bungalow, one-bedroom, single or double-car garage, whatever. Thank you for the home. Here's one. Thank you for nature. Go walking around. Thanks for the trees that are taking in my carbon dioxide right now, coming out with oxygen through photosynthesis so I can breathe. Thank you for the sun. Thanks for the wind that blows the mosquitoes away. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for your contentment. Thank you for the food I eat, the different tastes, the textures that you created for my enjoyment. So there it is. Repent, growing in gratitude. Request, rejoice in the Lord. And then finally it's this. Repeat every day, many times. Repeat this Every day, many times. When you're feeling worried, when you're feeling anxious, that temptation and anxiety is there, repeat this every time. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, this is why we are commanded, give thanks in all circumstances. 
See that? For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is living with the thankfulness lens on. What lens are you living with? Gratitude or grumbling? Eyes on the Lord or eyes on you? There's only one that leads to true freedom. See, the life content in Jesus rejoices in his provision always. Lord, grow an attitude of gratitude. Amen? And with this final point today, the life content... Oh, hey, before I get to point two, (laughs) this is just on my mind. I want to challenge us in this. I want to challenge us specifically with this. Do this, growing in gratitude. Do this every day for the next 40 days and watch what happens with your contentment level in Jesus Christ. Do this every day for 40 days and watch what happens to the gratitude and contentment and peace and satisfaction that you have in Jesus. Watch what God does with that. You take God at his word, every single one of these things is out of his word. You take God at his word, watch what he does in his power. Get low before him, humble yourself 40 days, and I want to hear lots of stories, okay, of what God's doing. Let's do that. The life content in Jesus rejoices in his provision, and with this, final point, the life content in Jesus relies on his power in dependency relies on his power in dependency. See, here it is, here it is. Tune in as we land the plane on this series, the secret of contentment. You want in? You want in? The secret of contentment is dependency on Jesus. I'll say it again. The secret of contentment is dependency on Jesus. But here's the question that it all hinges on. Ready? Is he enough for you? Is he enough? Let's go back to the text, verses 11 to 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, Paul goes on to say, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Stop it right there. See, Paul goes on to say that although he's grateful for the Philippians' gift, he's like, thanks, guys. Notice the text. He says, actually, I already had all that I truly needed. Did you see it in the text? He said, what are you talking about? He's in prison. He's going to trial. What are you talking about? I have all that you needed. I have all that I truly needed to be sustained for the work that God had entrusted to him. And you're like, what? What's going on here? How can that be? He tells them in, and tells us in verse 11. Look at, look at the back half of verse 11. For I have learned, this is why he's got all he needs. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. See, that word learned there, circle it, means this. He's learned from experience. It means he's been taught by God, that in whatever situation, no matter what's, see the external, there it is, whatever situation, no matter what's going on around him in his life, no matter what's happening in the culture, no matter who's in government, no matter what wars are happening around the world, no matter what election results are going to be in a few months, look at, look at, he and you and I can be content. 
that inward satisfaction, complete sufficiency through Christ, detached, not living under a rock, but detached from living in anxiety with anxious concerns. See what he says? Here it is. Let's just drive this home. What Paul says in verse 11, you see it on the screen, write it down. True contentment is not based on your external circumstances. Tommy just needs to hear that today and we can all head home. True contentment is not based on external circumstances. The next law that is passed, the circumstance change, the health change, the spousal change, whatever it is, it's not based on external circumstances. He says, he has learned to be content, whether, verse 12, go back to the text, he was brought low by God. That means brought low, circle that, it means humbled. Humbled to a meager place, one which the world would look and be like, dude, you got nothing going for you, dude. He says, I know what it's like to be content in that moment when I have been brought low by God, but I also... No, that word humble, as it means here, it means I'm in a meager place of food and clothing and the basic necessity. And I want you to notice something here about that word brought. Fix your eyes on brought. Here's what that means. Notice it's God who brought Paul low. God humbled him didn't give him the provision that he thought he needed. It was God who brought him low. See, here, here's, here's the reality. We got to tune in, loved ones. God always takes us to the school of contentment. God always enrolls us in the school of contentment, not to punish us, but to free us. God will take you and I to the school of contentment, not to punish you and I, but to free you and I of trying to find contentment and satisfaction and peace in all these other things that are not him. Because it doesn't exist. To free us from that vicious cycle. Notice this. He was brought low by God, but he also knows he's learned to be content whether God allowed him to abound. Notice the text. The word abound there means have above and beyond what was needed. The, the excess. Hey, can I just call out what so many of us, including myself, are so prone and tempted to think? We think the excess is our need. We've become so accustomed to making the excess stuff our need. It's not our need. But we run ourselves ragged chasing that. See, in all circumstances, God allows in this life. Paul has learned the secret. He's been instructed, that means, that word secret. He's been disciplined through the school of contentment by God in how to face situations of plenty. Notice the text. In plenty, verse 12, that means I can't eat another bite. But he's also learned contentment in situations of hunger, which is I wish I could have another bite when he didn't feel like he had enough or not sufficient resources to do what God called him to. He says, I know what it's like to be in abundance and have all my needs met. Don't forget, he hung out with Lydia. Lydia was one of the core group members of the church at Philippi. She was designing robes for royalty. She was loaded. He knows what it's like to have abundance. 
But also notice the text, verse 12. I know what it's like to be in need. The word need there means deficiency, unable to meet the needs that are at hand for physical provisions. I know what it's like. And he said, what's the secret? How could he say this? Verse 13 as we close it. Watch. I, here's why. Here's the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All things, the term all things, their circle, it means every part of everything that Jesus called him to do. Paul was able to do it through Christ who lives in him and would strengthen him. The word strengthen there means, ready? Fill with power. Fill with power to follow God and do all things he had entrusted to Paul. Now notice this, it's not this. Notice what Paul's not saying here. Right here, I can do some things that I need to do to follow Christ. No, he's not saying I can do most things Christ calls me to. No, but he's saying I can do all things Christ is calling me to and following him in obedience. I can do them all, whether I've got that provision physically or not, because Christ in me. Now let's get some clarity because um, this is one of the most misinterpreted texts in all of scripture. This verse right here. I can do all things. There's like t-shirts made of this and like pro athletes you hear after the game. I can do all things through Christ. I got seven touchdowns. Okay, okay. Hold on a second. Is that, is that taken in context? Is it? Is it? Let's get the context is key, right? Everyone say context is key. Here it is. It doesn't mean this. Here's what Paul's not saying. I will wake up tomorrow and be able to fly. Because Christ is in me. No. That's a bad idea. It doesn't mean this. Students, kids in school, uh, I don't have to study for that exam. I'm a Christian. And Jesus will supernaturally tell me the test answers when I open the test page. Now that's foolish. That's not faith. Here's another one. Uh, you can go to bed after eating 12 donuts and be 10 pounds lighter the next morning. No, he's not meaning that. You can, here, here's another one. I can just live however I want to live and chase my dreams and build my kingdom and Jesus will bless me. I can do all things, right? I wouldn't say no, it's not what it says. It doesn't mean you can just live however you want and Jesus will be sure to give you all you need to do that. That's completely false. Here's what it does mean, ready? That Paul had strength to withstand all things in all situations that God allowed. Because Christ was living with him, Paul had the power to withstand all things in all situations because although his circumstances will change, Jesus never would. Amen? Our God is unchanging. Though the circumstances change, Jesus never would. And through Christ, notice verse 13, through him, through Christ, not apart from him, but abiding in him, Jesus had given Paul all he needed for life and godliness and would infuse Paul with supernatural strength to follow him, just like he will you and I today in obedience to see Christ magnified in his life. There it is. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Christ's glory is on the agenda of that, not our own. And I love how one commentator put it this way. He said, Paul's contentment didn't increase or decrease based on material provisions. Praise the Lord. Neither does ours. And you may say this, you may say this. You may say, well, that's easy for Paul to say. He doesn't know my situation, what I'm facing. Anyone tempted to think that? Yeah, he doesn't know what I'm facing. It's easy for Paul to say, well, can we just live in the text for a moment? Right? Um, at this point in Paul's ministry, I just want to read you a list of some of the things that God brought him through, through the school of contentment. You ready? Just tune in. From uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23, the back half of verse 23. He says this. Here he's describing his resume. Far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. That's 200 lashes with a whip. 196 if you're doing the math. Three times I was beaten with rods. Anyone been beaten with rods lately? Here it is. Once I was stoned. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. Anyone ever got seasick? Nasty business. On frequent journeys, listen to this, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, the Jews, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. Anyone gone through a sleepless night? Paul's like, hey, I can identify. I've gone through many of those. Many a sleepless night in hunger and in thirst, often without food, didn't eat, uh, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. Oh, don't forget, I had a facial disfiguration, and I'm writing this book of Philippians from prison. Not so bad we have it, huh? And Paul's not doing this to exalt himself, but to show the power is Christ. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Hey, hey, question. Would you be tempted in that situation, if you were Paul, with a lack of contentment? Would you? Would Jesus be enough for you and I? Is he right now enough for you and what you're facing? Jesus brought Paul through all of that. He can bring you and I through what we are facing quite capably too. Even, how about this? Is Jesus enough for you even if your external circumstances right now never change? If you stay single the rest of your life, it's not a punishment. Singleness is a gift from the Lord too. God help us if we dishonor him in that. How about this? Here's, here's what Paul's tuning in on right here. We need to key in from this back half of the text. You'll see it on the screen. Secret of contentment is that Jesus is enough. It was for Paul. He is for Paul. He is for us. The secret of contentment is that Jesus is enough. See, and this, notice what this does. This frees you and I from feeling we need to grasp at getting the next thing 
or to make your life easier and give you higher status in this world or have value or base your identity in or keep up with the world or seek satisfaction and peace and contentment in these things that can never give it amassing earthly joy. It frees us from all of this, all of it. Step out of the rat race, loved ones, if you're ready. I love how one commentator put it this way. True contentment is not found in self-sufficiency. Ready? Ready? It's not found in material sufficiency. It's not found in circumstantial sufficiency. True contentment is found in Christ's sufficiency. The more sufficient Christ is for you and I, the more content we will be in him. End of story. All the time, every time. Christ is enough. And this is radical, isn't it, from this world? It's radical. The advertisers will be put out of business. When the world asks, when when is asked how much is enough to be content, this world will always say a little bit more, won't it? But when the Christian, when the Christian is asked the same question, how much is enough? Here's the answer, how it should be for us. Not imitating the world, but not how much is enough, but who is enough? And that is Jesus alone. That should be the answer of every Christian. It's not how much is enough, it's who is enough. See, the secret of contentment is dependency on Jesus. So let's just bring it home and land a plane. Is he enough for you? Is he in what you're facing right now? When the provision doesn't come the way you want, do you still think you can do all things? You think his word's true? And if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal savior, let me just let you off the hook for a moment. There's actually no way Jesus can be enough for you. If you have never repented of your sin and confessed Jesus alone as your Lord and savior, here's the reality for you. You are still depending on your own strength. You're still running the rat race alone. And you are still trying to find the elusive place of satisfaction and contentment and peace and ultimate salvation that your heart is restless for. But hear the words of Augustine, one of the early church fathers. He said this, our hearts are restless. You'll see it on the screen. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in that your heart will continue to be restless until you find your rest in the one who created and it's longing for And notice verse 13, go back to the text. It is only through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. It's only through Christ who will strengthen you that you will ever have true contentment that your heart is longing for both now and forever with him in eternity. And his call for you today, if that's you right now, his call for you today in this place right now is to repent of your sin and trust him as your Lord and Savior, believing he is the Messiah who came to earth as fully God and fully man and lived a perfect life of contentment in God alone and paid the penalty for your sin on that cross, that sin that separates you from that holy God we were singing of. And Jesus died and rose to life three days later, defeating the power of sin and death. And now today, he offers you in this moment forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And here's the thing, true and lasting contentment in him. Question, will you come to him? Will you come? Will you come? He loves you and is waiting for you. And brothers and sisters, as the worship team comes up, here's our challenge to close out. Is Jesus enough for you where you are right now? Where he has brought you? Has he brought you low? Has he brought you to the place of abundance? Is he enough for you?
And you say, how do you know if he's enough? Well, a couple of things. Here you go. Let's help. Um, Are you clinging to him in his word? If Jesus is really who you're depending on, you're clinging to his word every day saying, Lord, I need you. Not just five minutes in the morning, but throughout the day, abiding in him, word on your heart. Before you go into that meeting, before you're with your family, whatever it is, are you clinging to him? Here's another one. Are you calling on him in prayer? Prayer is a declaration of our dependency on the Lord. How much of your life is bathed in prayer? Over everything, knowing apart from him, we can do nothing. Here's another one. Clinging to him, calling on him, and finally committing to him. Are you walking in obedience? Are you valuing what he values? Loving what he loves? And you may say, it's so hard to do. And it is, loved ones. Yet not I, but through Christ in us. Amen? But Jesus lived the perfect life of contentment, and he's ready to give you all you need to do the same, increasingly in his power. So what are you depending on apart from Christ and deceiving yourself in believing that you must have that to be truly satisfied? It's a lie. It's a deception. And we close with this. I just want to hit this home. Jesus, quite often, out of his love for us, Jesus is more committed to our freedom than our earthly success. I'll say it again. Jesus, out of his love for us and goodness towards us, is more committed all the time, every time, to our freedom than our earthly success. And out of his love for us, he will often strip away those things and ordain your need and ordain your hunger to rescue your soul. Jesus will often ordain your need to rescue your soul to come back to him. The school of contentment. Where do you need to repent of attempting to amass the earthly treasure and status and serving the master of wealth as a means to contentment and return to him? Because as we close the series, remember this. To live in true financial freedom, you must live with contentment in Jesus. You will not find it apart from him. Rejoicing in his provision with gratitude and relying on his power in dependency. Loved ones, this is the secret. This is the secret to financial freedom, to eternal freedom. Eyes up here. And you can do all things through him who strengthens you in Christ alone. Let's pray. In Christ alone, our hope is found. Jesus Christ, you are our light, our strength, and our song. And Lord, forgive us when we don't live like that's true. Lord, I pray right now all over this place, out of your kindness, out of your mercy, you would be ministering to every heart here and where they're at, strengthening the weak, refreshing the weary, convicting the proud, stirring humility and there would be freedom in this place right now i pray specifically for those people who are here and have never confessed you as their lord and savior lord i pray today would be the day of their salvation that as they heard the beautiful truth of the gospel and the freedom that is offered they would say i can't turn away from this and in your mercy you would save them as they call on your name in jesus name we pray 
Amen. Loved ones, will you stand and respond? And let's sing this so loud as a declaration of our freedom in Christ. Let's go.